My next guest is the author of the best-selling book, Clean Skin from Within, and founder of the Spa Doctor Natural Skincare line. She received her medical degree from the National University of Natural Medicine and was the first woman licensed as a naturopathic doctor in the state of California. She currently lives in Park City, Utah, where she helps patients from around the world achieve natural glowing skin. Welcome to Beauty Aside. I'm your host, Gentry Quinn, former high school dropout turned beauty entrepreneur. And each week I'm going to be serving you up some digestible beauty bites and inspiring stories that really flip the script on everything you think you know about the beauty and entertainment industry. Welcome, Dr. Cates. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. I am so excited to talk with you today because, you know, normally I'm watching your YouTube videos and listening to your awesome podcasts, which are so helpful, by the way. And one of the things that makes me respect you so much, aside from all of your professional work accomplishments, is that you're a mother of three who really seems to practice this idea that what we put inside of our bodies matters just as much as what we put on top of our skin. Hence the title of your best-selling book, Clean Skin from Within. So my question is, were you always this way? Is it an easy practice for you? Or did something in life happen that pushed you in this direction? That's a great question. You know, a lot of times we end up on a path because it's our passion because of struggles that we've had. And I certainly had my struggles with skin as a child. I had a lot of issues with eczema, itchy rashes, hives, allergic reactions to all kinds of things, including the medications they put me on to help me with my skin and my allergies. So I was a hot mess when I was a kid with my skin and with my health and of course my self-esteem because our skin is, it's, especially when things show up on our face, it's hard to hide. And so I remember being so embarrassed by my health and my skin as a kid. I just didn't feel like a normal child. But um, luckily, my parents didn't give up on looking for answers for me, and they eventually found a holistic practitioner that they took me to. And it's the one thing that really helped me turn my health around, turn my skin issues around. And I remember thinking at 11 years old, I remember thinking, why did it take us this long to find the solution? Why it wasn't holistic, a holistic approach? presented to us in the beginning before these years of struggles that I had. And um, I, so that's when it planted a seed for me early on to be interested in a more holistic approach. And I, I you know, I guess I, as far as your, but going back to your question, I do feel very fortunate. I was raised uh, on a, a farm in rural Virginia. My parents uh, had an organic garden. We had our own chickens and so I did have a more natural lifestyle to a certain extent. We just, before that point, didn't really understand the, the value of holistic medicine. And so that was what was introduced to me at that point. And so the, to a certain extent, natural living was normal to me. Like we'd get, you know, you get a sunburn or a scrape or something like that. We'd use the aloe plant or um, making our own soaps. And my mom was a beekeeper. So we would use honey for food and also for healing salves and things like that. So to a certain extent, I grew up with it, but it, that, you know, part of it evolved as I grew up. And so it still is 
the society that we live in, it's not always easy to live this way though. Growing up on a farm is one thing, but when you're trying to raise your own kids and they're going to school with other kids that don't live this way, it, it's not always the easy path. It's not always an easy path. That's for sure. So how do you balance that? Just out of curiosity, when you're, when you're incorporating this really holistic lifestyle into your everyday routine, and then, you know, obviously the kids are going to go to school and they're going to be exposed to other things. What are some things that you say, how do you keep that balance of, you know, um, I don't know, letting them, letting them still, I guess, make decisions for themselves, but kind of guiding Mm -hmm. them. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tough one as parents. Um, It's, you know, there's, you don't want to be a militant parent and say, well, you have to live this way and you have to do these things because when they become teenagers, that will backfire (laughs) if not before. Um, So I think one of the most important things as a parent is leading by example. And I certainly do this with my patients too. I don't just tell them to eat healthy and use clean skincare products. I do it too. I exercise, I do stress management. I, I meditate. I pray. I do all of those things that I hope that my patients do. And my kids see me living this way. And so they might go to school and, and they're, you know, they're, um, the kids lunchbox next to them. They have, they have candy and, um, you know, of course kids will swap things. They'll try things, but in the end, um, they see me setting an example and they also see me having plenty of energy being healthy, whereas they see other people struggling. And I think eventually they start to put pieces together. And for my, my youngest daughter, uh, she, she also struggled with, um, eczema when she was, really little when she was a toddler and we realized it was the gluten that was the trigger for her eczema and so when we took that out of her diet her eczema cleared up and she grew up knowing that if she ate gluten she would get eczema she would get itchy rashes she'd even get a stomach ache so she did not want to eat gluten so it became she made the connection within her own body noticing when she ate something this is how it made her feel. And she had the choice that she didn't have to feel that way. So it was better for her to avoid gluten and not have the itchy rashes and stomach aches. And then she also, it had turned into a gift for her. She's now, um, and now she's 14 and she is, uh, she has her own Instagram. She does gluten-free baking and she's gotten really creative and it's become this sort of, now it's like a, uh, a hobby of hers to make gluten-free baking and make all the things that her friends are eating uh, with, but without gluten. So, you know, there is a way to do it. And I think that leading by example, when it comes to our kids is really one of the biggest ways we can do it. That is so cool. And what a beautiful, oh, what a beautiful thing. She took something that she was struggling with at such an early age, just 14. Uh-huh. And now she's being able to share this with people and help educate other people that are going through these similar strugg- struggles. And so it's really a lesson in giving back to, I just think that is so beautiful. And uh, I just love that leading by example. That's definitely a golden nugget right there. Now you say that skin is an outer reflection of our health. Now, when I was in aesthetic school, I remember my teacher leaning into me and whispering, you know, that 50% of the way that your skin looks is about genetics, right? And kind of laughing a little bit, kind of not. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if she's being serious. Now, I mean, how much of it 
really is about genetics versus something we can control. And what are some of the key underlying factors behind imperfect skin? Well, definitely genetics plays a role in, in our skin. I mean, you can hear just me talking about my daughter. She had eczema. I had eczema. So there's definitely a genetic component when it comes to skin issues. There is an atopic um, dermatitis, you know, the allergic types of tendencies get passed along through genes. Um, Also people with more acne prone or people that tend to, to age prematurely, there are genes that pass along that predispose us to that, you know, being um, more sensitive to the sun, right? I have fair skin. That's a genetic issue. Um, I know I would say issue, maybe, maybe it's a blessing to have fair skin too. Um, but it is, it's, you know, I have to be more mindful because of being, you know, Irish, Scottish descent, right. And having those genes. So definitely it impacts our skin, but the great news is that what we know now about the studies of epigenomics and nutrigenomics and um, epigenetics and nutrigenomics, that, that what we know about this now is that we can change our genetic expression by our lifestyle. And so what that means is, yes, we may have come into this world with a set of genes, but we can change the way they express themselves. So the way that those symptoms show up, whether or not we have a certain disease or a skin problem, we can change that expression by our lifestyle choices. Just like okay, so I need to use more sunscreen than maybe someone has more, uh, more pigmented skin, right? So with, with different genetic uh, um, makeup, but, that, but it's a lifestyle choice. So I need to wear hats more. I need to stay in the shade more. I need to wear sunscreen more, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to end up with skin cancer. It doesn't mean that my skin is going to be burnt all the time. It just means that I need to change my lifestyle. And it's similar with the foods that you eat. You can actually eat foods and take supplements that change genetic expression. So if someone is more predisposed to oxidative damage or uh, glycation issues, which uh, so oxidative damage predisposes people to sometimes more accelerated aging or certain types of cancers, then, you know, if you know that you have that sort of, you know, some more of that genetic susceptibility, you need to eat more antioxidant rich foods. You might want to take some antioxidant rich supplements. If you, um, if you tend to have more inflammatory triggers, you need to eat more anti-inflammatory foods and maybe even supplements that can help with that. If you have um, certain issues with digestive, you can take supplements to help with that. So, We can put the power back in our own hands, which is the great news. And that's why I think skin is such an an important tool to use to help us guide us on a healthier path with our lifestyle choices, because our skin oftentimes gives us the early warning signs that something is out of balance. So for me as a kid, my skin was telling me on the outside, you're doing something that is is creating inflammation. Whatever I was doing, it was things that I was eating, it things that I were touching my skin, it was creating internal inflammation. And um, also my immune system was overreacting. So I needed to do things to calm down the inflammation, calm down the, the immune system, get it more in a balanced state. But using topical steroids is not addressing that. So just using topical steroids is not getting to that um, root cause. And so for, 
you know, if I had continued down that path without addressing the root causes behind what was going on with my skin, probably would have ended up with a lot of the things that I've seen with my patients where as children, they had eczema. So they were given topical steroids. And then later on, they developed asthma because they've still got allergic problems and they've still got inflammation. And so then later on, you know, as in, with asthma, they're given an inhaler. Still, they're not addressing the root cause. So then later on, they ended up with an autoimmune disease because their immune system was never addressed. So this is the path that I see people that I've seen my patients on. Whereas if they had, if they had, if they could go back in time, or if we, you know, if even at that point, we've got to, it takes a little bit more work to address the root cause. But if you paid attention to your skin as that early warning sign, then you could avoid a lot of other health issues down the line because you're addressing the root cause. That makes so much sense that because the steroids are like a bandaid at that point, they don't solve the problem. They're just helping you deal with the inflammation or, or whatever at the time. But as in terms of longevity, they're not actually helping you heal if that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that topical steroids or steroids should never be used because they do have their place in medicine. But the problem is, is they're, that they're oftentimes overused by people. And so they're meant to be used as a short-term solution to, to just, you know, to calm down that inflammation, but then, you know, so you can get the, the body back into balance. So there are times when I have recommended that my patients stay on steroids or maybe even do a topical steroid temporarily to help calm down a very inflamed system. But typically that's, you know, we can sometimes even avoid that entirely if we go about it with a natural approach, addressing the root cause or get the, you just use them temporarily, but really still look for the root cause. But the problem is, is that a lot of people, they're not, they're given the topical steroids and they stay on them and they live off of that as the, as the, the suppression but meanwhile, that internal root cause is still brewing. And so it's just going to show up in another way. So when I wrote my book, Clean Skin From Within, I was noticing certain patterns in my patients. And I realized that there are six root causes behind skin issues. And, and so I, I talk about them all in my book. And I also help people identify what their root causes are by because I created a new way of... Um, a new type of skin, skin typing. And so my skin types are more skin personality types. They're Amber, Olivia, Sage, Emmett, and Heath. And each of these skin types have a few of the root causes associated with them. So people go to, I have an online quiz that people can take and it's at theskinquiz.com. So people go there and they take the quiz, they can find out which of the skin types they are. And that helps people identify which of the root causes are their problem. So for me, for example, I'm more of an Emmett skin type. So I have that more of the inflammation and the immune system imbalances is the general trigger. And that's partly from genetics. But if I, if I avoid the triggers 
and I instead replace you know, trigger foods with foods that are more anti-inflammatory, soothing and gut healing, then I'm going to avoid, I'm going to help avoid those, um, those underlying triggers that are going to um, create more of the imbalances with the underlying causes. And so then I get to have healthier skin and overall health. Because if I start to name off some of these root causes, people realize not just skin problems like nutritional deficiencies, hormonal imbalances, inflammation, oxidative damage, uh, microbiome imbalances like gut issues, as well as um, glycation or blood sugar issues. All of these are not just related to skin, but they're related to our health in many other ways. And so it's, it's important for us to pay attention to the signs that our skin is giving us so we can help identify what these root causes are and keep not only our skin healthy and clear, clear but also our, our health vibrant in other ways. Because not only do we want to live longer, we want to enjoy the quality of life as we're living longer um, during these, these times. Of course. And it makes so much sense. And I want to get to the gut skin connection in a minute and skin microbiome, because I think that is so important. Um, but before I get to that, we, you were talking about clean skin from within. Um, now I know that you have a two week plan to clean skin and, and I don't want you to give it all away right now, but can <laughs> you just tell us the four points of the plan? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So like I said, I wanted to make it, I, I knew that not everybody could come and see me as a patient. So I wanted to make it easy for people to do a lot of the things I was saying over and over again to my patients, to put it all in a book so that more people could have access to it. So it's a lot of, it's basically the plan that I give um, my patients with, you know, of course, it's not quite the same because they're not one on, it's not one on one care. But the four different areas are clean plate, clean slate, clean body and clean mind. And so I have people, I lead people through a two week program that incorporates all four of these. And this is the two week, basically the two week program that I was leading people through at the Waldorf Astoria Spa here in Park City, where I, I became known as the spa doctor. And so originally the program, I created it as a weight loss program and for, for the spa. And at the end of the two weeks what my patients were telling me, is that not only had they lost weight, but they were surprised at the effects of their skin, how healthy their skin looked. And so that's why I kind of modified it and, and, and focused it more on skin. So the four different areas, clean plate are the foods to avoid and the foods to eat. So we wanna avoid the big trigger foods, like things like sugar that, that um, contribute to blood sugar imbalances, oxidative damage, inflammation. A lot of these things are triggered by certain foods like sugar. So we wanna avoid the big trigger foods and instead eat foods that, that are nourishing and actually are more anti-inflammatory, rich in antioxidants, those sorts of foods. So I talk about that in the clean plate section of exactly what to eat, what to avoid, during the two weeks and then what to do after the two weeks are over. And then the clean slate section is about what you put on your skin because what I found with skin is it's not as much as it is, a lot of it is from the inside out, but what you put on your skin is important. And there's so many toxic skincare products out there that we're using on a regular basis. And 
Unfortunately, the word natural or even the word hypoallergenic and skincare has no regulation. It actually has no real meaning when it comes to regulation on skincare. It's just a marketing claim. So you actually have to do a little digging and look at the labels, understand a little bit about what to avoid and what natural alternatives to look for, as well as things like the pH of the products and what is going to help your help set your skin up to be healthy, not just free of toxins in the skincare products, but also what is going to help your skin be healthy and help with a healthy skin microbiome. So that's what the clean slate section is about. And then I lead them through clean body, which is about also avoiding toxins in your home in other ways, not just your skincare products, but what else is in your home, what other toxic things you might be exposed to and how to reduce that exposure and how to support your body's detoxification pathways. Because your skin is actually, one of its biggest functions is as detoxification pathway. We, we, we detox a lot through the skin. We also have our, you know, our liver, our kidneys, our lymphatic system, our digestive system, that also is important. So I, I give people tips on ways to support that in the clean body section. And the clean mind section is about stress management and mindfulness practices because we know that there is a big connection between stress and how our skin reacts. So if we are stressed, our skin tends, especially if you already have a skin problem, it tends to worsen by stress. And, um, and so we want to manage, and we also know that skin issues can be very stressful. So we want to do things to manage our stress and set ourselves up for success in mindfulness practices for things like um, breath work, meditation, or even just um, gratitude and um, simple things to help shift us into out of stress and into a more balanced state of mind because of the stress response. There is a physiologic response that connects stress into inflammatory skin reactions. So we want to be careful with that. So it's really doing all four of those. So it's not just about your skincare products, and it's not just what you're eating. It's all four of these, which are really important. Again, not just for your skin, but for your overall health. And I've been seeing patients now as a naturopathic physician for 20 years. And this is what I, I talk to them all about. It's important to incorporate all four aspects of this to truly have good health, not only today, but for years to come. I am just sitting here thinking about how many people I'm going to buy this book for, for Christmas, because I've already ordered myself one and I cannot wait. I think this is so awesome how you address everything. So you mentioned sugar. There's so much misinformation out there. Can you just enlighten us a little bit? What are just some of the main foods that trigger skin problems? Yeah. So when I say sugar, it's not just cane sugar, but really anything that causes your blood sugar to spike, what causes it to, to peak, uh, to go up fast. And so uh, those, it can be, you know, even honey or maple syrup or agave syrup is actually more like corn syrup. Any of these things can actually cause your blood sugar to rise. And so what happens when our blood sugar rises and when it 
when it comes to skin is, um, first of all, it typically tends to trigger more inflammation. But also when we have an increase in our blood sugar, it creates glycation issues in the body. And I've mentioned that word before, what basically that has been tied to accelerated aging because glucose will bind to proteins in the body. And in the case of skin, we're talking about collagen. So glucose will bind to collagen and make it more rigid, less elastic. That means more premature wrinkles and sagging skin. And also what it, uh, sugar is one of the big triggers for acne breakouts because when our blood sugar increases, it, it increases insulin. And with an increase in insulin, the hormone insulin, that triggers excess sebum production, the oils in our skin, as well as excess androgen activity. And these are the things that are known to trigger acne breakouts. So sugar really is a big problem food for, for skin in a number of reasons. And so, and again, it's not just sugar, but things that cause the blood sugar to increase. So you want to eat more balanced meals. You want to be mindful of getting protein, getting healthy oils, getting healthy protein in, um, and also fiber and vegetables. Those sorts of things can help balance out your blood sugar. And if you feel like this might be one of your root causes, or you might have a genetic susceptibility to blood sugar issues, like if there's diabetes in your family, if you've been diagnosed with PCOS or someone else in your family has, uh, or maybe even um, you're concerned about prediabetes or anything along those lines, just get your, go see your doctor and get your fasting blood, blood work done just to, to see where your, your blood sugar is because you want to make sure it, um, it, it's in a healthy range. And um, typically doctors will say, if your fasting blood sugar is below 100, you're fine. But actually we wanna be even more proactive. So with my patients, if I see their blood sugar over 85, even though it appears to be in the, I'm doing air quotes here, normal range, I see that as it's trending in the wrong direction. It's getting on the higher side. So let's go ahead and be proactive early before somebody gets into prediabetes or diabetes above 100. And instead, just start being more proactive, eating more fiber, eating more balanced meals, maybe even taking some supplements to help with blood sugar balance before it becomes a problem. So because, you know, it is a... Uh, uh, blood sugar issues are a big problem for skin issues, but also, of course, linked to many other health problems. So blood sugar is one of those big ones you want to be mindful of, and it's an easy one to keep an eye out for. So that is something, I know you asked me about food and I kind of went off on a side, side tangent, but I tend to do that because I love the science behind all of this. No, but, I love um, it. I love it. <laughs> but also dairy is another big trigger food for skin. Um, not for everyone. Dairy isn't necessarily bad for everyone, but if you have skin problems or if you're having digestive problems or other health issues, dairy is a problem food for a lot of people. It is a common allergen. It's a common food intolerance. So in, in the two-week program, it is one of the foods that I suggest eliminating for two weeks to see how you do without it. And even if someone is eating, um, you know, uh, 
you know, a organic dairy uh, from their neighbor's cow or whatever it is. You know, people say, what about goat milk? What about this or that? If you have a true dairy allergy or sensitivity, it doesn't matter if it's a healthy form of it, if it's organic or it's coming from a goat or a sheep or whatever, it, you can still have a reaction to it. Some people react to all of it. But some people will do better with certain types of dairy and not others. So that one of the great things is unless you, if you have an allergy, uh, a food allergy, you really do want to completely avoid it. But if you have an intolerance, you might be able to find certain things that you can tolerate, some things that you can eat, some things that you can't. But the great thing is that if you take it out of your diet, for a good two weeks, you can eliminate it out of your system because it does take at least two weeks to get at least 10 days to get it out of your system. And then you could try reintroducing maybe a little bit of goat cheese and see if you, how you do with it. But what I found is that a lot of, what, a lot of times if people get um, triggered by dairy products, they really need to eliminate all of them. So does that help with a couple of food suggestions to avoid? Yeah, big time. And I love yeah. the way that you explain things because it's so easy for me to understand about how sugar binds to the collagen and that it makes it more rigid and that, um, you know, how it in can increase the, the sebum and also cause acne. And I'm really sad right now also as I'm talking because I am <laughs> a sugar addict and I have tried everything now instead of my organic sugar I've gone to squeezing honey on everything so I was really sad to hear about that so <laughs> can can you um I had I had a feeling though I had a feeling but I'm yeah. like is this the lesser of the two evils <laughs> um you know and you're just saying you know anything that uh, causes your blood sugar to rise we need to be careful of which makes total sense um, is there, is, do you have a favorite sugar substitute? Yes, I do. And, you know, here's the, the reason why I explain so much of this in detail is that I think it's good for people to understand why, and that it's not, there's not necessarily a one size fits all diet for everyone. You want to customize it a little bit for you. Like some people are okay with having a little bit of honey every now and then, but it is also important to understand that your body, when you, when you consume honey, your body kind of treats it similarly as just eating sugar. It's going to increase your blood sugar. So it's good to know that even though honey does, um, it's more in its uh, pure state, it's less refined, it's less processed, and it does have some nutrients in it, which is great. Um, but the problem is that some people are more susceptible. So if you, if you like to have a little bit of honey, that might be okay, but it's good to get your blood sugar tested anyway, at least, um, every couple of years. And if you're having problems every year, just to see, is this a problem thing? Is this something you really need to be careful with? Um, and the other thing is, is that if you are craving it, typically it's too much. And so that is a warning sign. We, we, um, we crave foods for different reasons. Sometimes we have an emotional connection to it. Sometimes there's a physiologic thing that's happening that's causing us to crave something. Um, and 
sugar is an addictive substance. I don't know if you've heard about the study where, where rodents were given a choice. They were given cocaine and they were given sugar and they were given the choice between the two and they actually chose the sugar over the cocaine. It's more addictive. Oh. And so, I mean, I'm sure cocaine is very addictive, but sugar in this particular study, the, the, yeah. the rats were more addicted to the sugar than the cocaine. So it kind of tells you it is an addictive substance, even honey, because it creates that same kind of uh, uh, physiologic process in the body and that sort of reward feeling that we get from that sugar high. So as far as sugar alternatives, you want to look for things that actually don't cause that blood sugar increase. So there are a few. Stevia is one of my favorites because it is, um, it comes from the plant stevia and it doesn't increase your blood sugar. It has a very sweet flavor. So you can add just a tiny bit to your tea or to your smoothie or whatever it is that you're, you're making to help, um, to help add that sweetness to it. And, um, it's not going to increase your blood sugar, which is really nice. The problem that people have with stevia is that it has a little bit of an aftertaste. You can't exactly use it in baking. So um, it, it is important to uh, realize that it's not like you can just do equal parts stevia and sugar and expect to have the same experience. What with and My daughter does a lot of baking. As I said, she does a lot of the, the gluten-free baking. So what we oftentimes will use is a, a monk fruit, erythritol, blend there's um there's a um it's pretty easily readily available as a an alternative for baking and for using if you're you know if you're making something where you want to add a little bit more and then we usually add a little bit of stevia because if you add a lot of stevia you get the aftertaste if you add just a little bit you don't typically get the aftertaste and we prefer the powdered stevia over the liquid Okay. I love that. I, I, I can't say I'm a great baker. I'm probably going to need to get some recipes from your daughter, but I definitely enjoy baking and I feel the same way about stevia. So I'm, I'm actually excited to try this monk fruit blend. So I'm going to look for that. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever we're done. And, and the other thing in my book, I actually have a whole recipe section, which I didn't even mention that part because I know I, I with all the years I've seen patients, I know I can tell them what to eat, what to not eat, but if they don't have examples, if they don't have support and exactly how to eat and what to eat with recipes, then it's so much harder to do. So I included a whole recipe section in my book and I actually have one of my favorite recipes in the book is a, a peach cobbler with a coconut whipped cream. And it's, it is uh, made with erythritol and stevia as sweeteners and there is no sugar added to it. And it's absolutely delicious. So that would be one that I would suggest trying. <laughs> well, I know what page I'm flipping to as soon as I get my book. I'm just putting that out there, especially with Thanksgiving right around the corner. Um, so I want to switch gears uh, because uh, I definitely don't want to, to miss talking about hormones and skin and I do see a lot of clients that have had or currently have, there are different stages of, you know, having to deal with cancer and they're told to be careful of hormone disruptors, of course. And I know that you've created some YouTube videos with these topics as well that people can listen to, but can you just briefly shed some light on 
really what that means to the person that might be experiencing this for the first time and might be a little confused or not know what to do. And also what's the difference between eating these foods that disrupt our hormones versus what we might put on top of our skin? Should we be looking at those differently? Yeah. Um, it's one of my favorite topics to talk about. I guess it's there, I have a lot that I like to talk about, but hormones and skin are a big one because uh, for women in particular, uh, our hormones change so much throughout our lives. And it is hormonal imbalances are one of the big root causes behind skin issues. And as we get older, we tend to use more skincare products because we're trying to fight the effects of, of the aging process. We're trying to look younger, longer. And so we're using more skincare products. However, there are these endocrine disrupting chemicals, hormone disrupting chemicals in skincare products that we're exposing ourselves to. And we're using more and more of them in typical skincare products. So this is a group of chemicals called endocrine disrupting chemicals, again, hormone disrupting chemicals. And what happens is they bind to hormone receptors in the body and they will mimic hormones or they'll turn off the, they'll impact the uh, receptors in a way that creates havoc with our hormones. And so they just can't function the way that they normally function. And we're not, when we talk about hormones and endocrine disrupting chemicals, we're not just talking about estrogen or progesterone, testosterone. We're not just talking about sex hormones, which they definitely can impact, but also thyroid and adrenal, as well as sleep, weight loss, all kinds of things can be impacted because our hormones impact our bodies in so many ways. And so endocrine disrupting chemicals have been linked to a number of different health issues, including um, infertility, thyroid problems, weight issues, cardiovascular problems. The list goes on and on, um, prostate cancer, breast cancer. And so we are exposed to endocrine disrupting chemicals in our environment in many different places. They're in our air, our water, our food, our personal care products. And unfortunately, we're exposed to more of these chemicals now than we ever have been because there are new, these new, new chemicals being developed all the time that have these effect, plus the chemicals that been, have been existing in our environment and our um, civilization for many years um, that don't go away. Some of them just continue to exist in the soil and our water, and even in areas where they've been banned, they can continue to exist. So that's the bad news. <laughs> the good news is that we do have control over how we are exposed to some of these chemicals. And though they're, you know, like pesticides in food is one place we're exposed to. So if we choose organic produce, uh, organic foods, that is a way to reduce your exposure to endocrine disrupting chemicals. If you filter your water, you can help remove things like heavy metals from your water, maybe lead or, thing, or arsenic or things like that that might be in naturally occurring in water. Even where I live in Park City, Utah, it, it used to be a mining town. So arsenic and lead are high in the water here, even though it's a pristine seeming little ski town. Um, so filtered water is another thing because you want to look at all the ways that you can reduce your exposure. And personal care products are also a way that we're exposed to these. 
Now you're, you mentioned the difference between ingesting these, these chemicals versus applying them to the skin. And it is slightly different, but we, they still get into our bloodstream. It's just a different route. Is it, are we consuming it through our mouth or are we consuming it through our skin? When you apply things to your skin, they don't just sit on the surface of your body. They can get absorbed. They do get absorbed. If you think about hormone creams, nicotine patches, we put medications on the skin as a form of get as a way of getting it into the body. So when you put that lotion on your body, when you put that that um, foundation on your face, think about the fact that you can be absorbing some of those ingredients in through your skin into your bloodstream and getting into your body. And our goal is to reduce our overall exposure, not add more to it. And so it's not, doesn't, the good news is that there, you know, you can choose natural, clean skincare products that don't have these endocrine disrupting chemicals in them. So one of the biggest ingredients in skincare products that you want to look out for is fragrance. And if you look at all the different places that you have fragrance in your home, and in your personal care products, you'll probably maybe even be surprised to see all the different things that contain fragrance. But fragrance is not a single ingredient. It's a whole group of ingredients. And many of, the, many of these ingredients have, some of them anyway, have endocrine disrupting effects. For example, diethyl phthalate is an, a, an ingredient in fragrance that's used to help the scent last longer but it's a plasticizing agent. It's like what you find in water bottles, phthalates are in water bottles, part of the concern that people have about some of the water bottles out there and choosing BPA-free and all those sorts of things. It's, it's similar when we look at skincare products, we wanna avoid fragrance because it has um, phthalates in there, which have been actually de- detected in human samples. So we know that not only are they in the products, but they, are getting into our bodies when we use them. Also things like parabens, which parabens have been removed from a lot of skincare products, not necessarily because skincare companies want to remove them because it's not easy. I know I make um, a line of skincare products and I know it's not easy to reformulate and and make new products. But um, when you find something that is not good, that, you know, has some question questioning in the research it's um, i think it's our duty as skincare manufacturer to take that out to reformulate to make something better and many companies have taken out parabens out of skincare products but some still have it which surprises me with um with the research that's out there and the concerns that we have about the estrogenic effects and the studies uh the studies showing that parabens have been detected in breast tumor tissues so, um, so you know, those are a couple of the ingredients to look for fragrance, parabens. Those are two. There are so many, and that's why I have a whole section in my book, the whole clean slate section of my book, where I talk about ingredients to avoid. I can't always like to tell people the good news because I don't want to just be giving you a bunch of bad news. I like to come up with solutions. Is that the good news is that there are alternatives. And that's what I found why I actually created my skincare line because I, I wanted to really look at the research and understand for myself what goes into that. And then I ended up just creating my own skincare line 
because I wanted a truly clean, truly natural, truly hypoallergenic, um, as well as a skincare system that helped support the health of the skin and giving it the nutrients it needs. So, um, you know, I, I have a lot of information in my book, Clean Skin From Within, about the ingredients to avoid and healthier alternatives like essential oils. Using those instead of synthetic fragrance is a much healthier alternative. So you can still enjoy the benefits of a beautiful scent and enjoying your self-care routine, which I think is an important part that I talk about in the clean mind section of my book. Your self-care, your skincare routine is part of your stress. It can be part of your stress management. But using essential oils instead actually adds to that because we know essential oils have health benefits. They, have, they, have, they can have mood enhancing benefits depending upon which ones you select. And so we, you know, that's the great news is that there are healthier alternatives to these, um, the skincare products as well as um, the, you know, we have the option of getting organic too and reducing our exposure to pesticides. I love it. Such good information. I have a feeling this book is going to become my new skincare Bible. So um, I do have a question about soy because there's a lot of controversy around soy. And I know that all of your skincare products are soy free. And so can you just tell us, is, is, is soy topically dangerous? Well, I, um, you know, it's, it's the soy question has been one that's been asked for a long time. I remember when I was in naturopathic medical school, we thought of soy as a health food, right? And it was a great option for an alternative to eating meat, which is eating meat in excess we know is harmful for the environment. Um, but of course it depends on, that's a whole, opens up a whole other can of worms, right? I'm not saying that people need to be vegetarian. I think in general, we need to get some nutrients from meat, but I think we overdo it. But when it comes to soy, the problem is, is that it is um, oftentimes, well, maybe the majority of the time it's actually genetically modified. And there's a whole bunch of um, concerns that that raises around genetically modified foods. And so as far as internal consumption, it is one that it's one of the ones that the foods that I talk about eliminating during the the My Clean Skin From Within program, and also does tend to be a common food allergen. And the, when, you know, what we do know about soy is it does have phytoestrogens, which meaning plant estrogen. So it has these phytoestrogenic properties. And, and for some women that actually can be beneficial. So for women going through perimenopause, phytoestrogens can be beneficial. If you're talking about a non-genetically modified form of soy, it could actually be beneficial. Um, however, it's really hard to find genetically modified free soy these days. And so I typically tell people to avoid it. And so I just decided to not have it in my skincare products as well, because it's one that I typically tell people to avoid eating internally. Okay. And that makes total, total sense. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Obviously you're all about avoiding toxic skincare in general. So what about safe synthetics? Like how do we know if a product is safe? First of all, what do we look for? And do you even believe in safe synthetics when it comes to skincare? Well, I mean, I definitely think there's a range of, of skincare when it comes to natural and, um, 
when you, when, you know, when you say something is all natural, really what that would mean is like going out into your backyard and digging up some dirt and making a mud mask with (laughs) from your backyard, that would be all natural. Right. So we have anything from DIY, which I actually have a bunch of DIY skincare recipes in my book, things that you can whip up in your kitchen with honey and yogurt and some, you know, crushed up berries or turmeric or, you know, there's a lot of great things that you might already have in your kitchen. You can make DIY skincare. The problem with DIY skincare and, um, you know, making it yourself skincare is that it doesn't last long. It will last maybe depending upon what you put in it, maybe last a few days in the refrigerator, but it, it will grow mold quickly. It will grow bacteria and you don't really want those things on your skin. I mean, I mentioned the skin microbiome and we do have this delicate balance of microorganisms that live on our skin and protect our skin. And when they get out of balance, it creates problems. And Part of those um, imbalances come from within, but also what we put on our skin impacts that. So we don't want to add more fuel to the fire by adding uh, moldy products or bacteria-ridden skincare products to our skin. So having, um, and so instead for convenience sake, it's nice to have a natural skincare line. And when we talk about a, a natural skincare line that has any kind of shelf life, it's going to be synthetic, which means to a certain extent, which means it's going to be basically synthetic means it's synthesized into something else. So you're taking a natural substance and you're, and you're using the lab to create it in a way to help it make it last longer. So um, that means extracting oils from a plant. That's, you know, that's, you know, it's, um, it is part of the skin, skincare manufacturing process. So there's everything from that, something very basic to extracting an oil, which is still, you have to do it in a lab to do it in a clean way. Everything from that to using mineral oil, which is a petroleum byproduct, which petroleum also is used to make gasoline, but it's used to make mineral oil and petroleum products like Vaseline and other things. Many skincare products contain mineral oil. While there are concerns about contaminants in mineral oil, also it's, it's synthetic. So it's not actually going to have any kind of nutritional value for your skin and may even disrupt the skin barrier function because of the way it impacts your skin barrier function when you apply it topically, especially if you add on top of that, that you're putting on mineral oil or dimethicone ingredients and you're going in your, you know, you're, you're heating up, you're working out, you're perspiring that can impact negatively impact your skin microbiome. So that's part of the problem that I have with synthetics is not only are the contaminants and the possible endocrine disrupting chemicals, but they don't actually work with your body's natural processes and the way that your skin microbiome is naturally designed to work. And so using more, instead of mineral oil, using more of the plant-based oils, like that's what we use in the Spot Doctor skincare products, um, and making sure that they're just like you would your extra virgin olive oil, you want them to make sure that they're purified, but not over purified. You want them to be clean, but not, but still contain the nutrients. So we use organic, extra virgin, uh, cold pressed, pomegranate seed oil, raspberry seed oil, sea buckthorn fruit oil, argan oil, so many coconut oil. We use so many different oils that um, are, are clean, but also still containing their nutritional value to add 
the lipid, um, to help with the lipid support of the skin, your skin needs those, those fatty acids, and then also the antioxidants that naturally occur in plants to protect your skin and set it up for, to be truly healthy looking. I love the way you explain everything because it's just so easy for me to take all of this information that seems so confusing and just understand it more simply. <laughs> so I know that whoever's listening is going to really, really appreciate that too. And talking more about the skin microbiome and you know the gut skin connection, I read a fantastic article that you wrote in townsendletter.com and you said to look for skincare products and topical treatments with a 4.5 to 5 pH range. Why is this so important? Well, there, that is based upon um, some research that was done looking at what helps support healthy skin microbiome. And so, you know, we, a lot of people have heard about the gut microbiome and um, what helps with that, you know, the, the microorganisms that live in the gut and help keep it healthy, like taking probiotics or eating extra fiber to help support healthy digestion, which supports a healthy gut microbiome. Well, that also actually helps the skin microbiome and because there's this gut skin connection, but also what we put on the skin is important too, because we want to set it up just like we eat lots of fiber in our diet to help with our our healthy gut microbiome, we want to create an environment on our, the surface of our skin that allows for the right balance of microorganisms to exist on our skin. So one of the things that, that's why I wanted to dig in the research when I was creating my skincare line to figure out what that is, what helps the skin microbiome. And so some of the research that I found was around the, the uh, mild acidity of skincare products. So if you're using mild acidity, that helps support the mild acidity of the skin. And so that actually helps support a healthy skin microbiome and it helps set up um, your skin for being less likely to, to break out. It helps with more graceful aging. And so that's one of the reasons why I created my skincare line is I wanted that perfect pH for the entire skincare system that people are using as well as the body products that we use. We don't want to use anything. Um, I was, I start, I also developed body products because every, every uh, body moisturizer that I got from a health food store, I tested and the pH was over 5.5. And I knew that was too high for my skin and I've still got this sensitive skin. So I have a tendency to react to things. So I can always tell, I use myself as a guinea pig a lot of times, but I could tell it was just my skin wasn't reacting well. So that's why I created um, our body line as well to make sure it was and towards that more uh, mild acidity under 5.5 pH. And so, you know, it really helps set your skin up for that healthier environment. And um, so a lot of people ask me though, how do I know what the pH of my skincare products is? And it's actually pretty easy to test. You can just get pH strips uh, on, at the spot doctor on our the FAQ section of our website. We tell, say what the pH of the products is, but I know a lot of skincare companies don't do that. And of course ours is in that, that mild acidity and that ideal pH range. But with other, if you're not sure about your skincare products and you're trying to decide what to do, you can just get pH strips. And as long as it's not 100% oil, if something, just a little review of chemistry class, if something is 100% oil, you can't test the pH of it. It has to have some water content to it. But pretty much, you know, any kind of lotions or soaps or things like that, you can test the pH. And you might be really surprised to see how high the pH of your products is. And that's just not going to support 
the natural myelicidity of your skin because your skin already exists in a healthy state, exists in that mild acidity. So you need to help support that. I love that. And it's so easy. I think I, I think I first heard this, um, listening to one of your podcasts about using the testing strips. And I thought, why didn't I think of that? That's like, <laughs> that makes so much sense. I love that. That's so easy. You can just order those on Amazon probably. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I love that your line really helps take the mystery out of it because yeah, we can do that and it is really easy, but they could also look at your, or try your skincare products out too, and just know or feel confident that you already have done all of, all of the research and that the pH is going to um, get them started in the right direction and a balance from a balanced place, which is so important. So, you know, we always hear about our gut as our second brain. At least I think that's what people say, but what's the gut connection with the skin and how do we know if our microbiome is even healthy to begin with? Like, are there some pointers you could give us? Well, yeah, I talk about the microbiome as being one of the big root causes. I talk about in my book, Clean Skin from Within. And, and again, if people go to theskinquiz.com and they find out their skin type, they'll be able to figure out if, if microbiome, their gut microbiome is, is one of likely more likely to be one of their root causes. But yeah, so I, part of it is symptoms. And, you know, as a naturopathic physician, really any physician, any good physician is going to look at a combination when they're looking at to see if uh, to evaluate something like gut microbiome, you're going to look at a combination of symptoms and lab work, but not one or the other. So I see sometimes doctors will just order lab work and rely all upon that without actually asking the patient enough, enough, enough questions to find out what are they experiencing. But there are a number of symptoms that can be associated with, with gut microbiome imbalances that go beyond just digestion. So a lot of times people, uh, patients have come in to see me like, no, I'm, my, my digestion's fine. And so then I have to ask them, first of all, what does fine mean? <laughs> and because um, a lot of times people don't even know that you're supposed to have a bowel movement every day. <laughs> so I've had patients that go every few days and they're like, oh, I didn't know that wasn't normal. So first of all, uh, healthy digestion may not mean the same thing for everyone. But again, the gut microbiome, when that's out of balance, it can go without digestive symptoms. I've seen it show up um, a lot in patients with acne, also people with, um, with eczema and um, other, you know, a lot of other skin conditions, rosacea even. And so doing some testing can be helpful in addition to looking at symptoms. So I usually have patients do a, uh, actually it's a stool test. So I send the kit home with them or send the kit to them and they collect the samples at home, send it to the lab. The lab sends me the results. And then we can look more closely at, are there imbalances with bacteria, with um, possibly yeast or maybe even parasites present? And then we can address those. I love it. I love it that you ask so many questions. In fact, if someone is working with me and I send them to a doctor like yourself or a dermatologist, I always tell them, look, if they're not asking the questions, they might not be the right person for you. And granted, I know that some doctors have a limited amount of time, but I feel like asking questions is the only way to really understand that bio, your bio individual needs, if you will. So I love it that you mentioned considering the symptoms and the lab work, and that's something that they can get done from, 
from you. And I want to remind people also to go to your website and take the skin quiz. I did. It was super fun. It was super easy. Who doesn't want to learn more about their skin? And, uh, and also I just want to thank you so much again for joining me today, Dr. Cates, because I know that our audience is going to learn so much from you, just like I have. And truly you are an inspiration to me. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's been fun. It's so much fun. I feel like we could definitely have a part two, but I won't hold you to it. (laughs) Um, You can connect with Dr. Kate's also on social media, the spa doctor. We've included a link to a free gift for you in our show notes, along with a discount code you can use on Dr. Kate's entire product line at the spa doctor.com. Remember the more, you know, the more you glow.